sun is down and the stars are out. Everyone turn up your volume and turn down your lights. The Twilight Beacon begins transmitting now. Jedediah D. Blackwell here, coming to you from the Twilight Beacon here in the American Southwest. Tonight, we celebrate another Sci Friday with two stories from the golden age of radio and showcasing the rise of the science fiction genre in American pop culture. Tonight's Sci Friday stories come from a time before space travel, before the Apollo missions, before Yuri Gagarin made his single orbit of Earth, even before Sputnik became the first man-made object to circle the planet. Yet, science fiction writers were already envisioning a future where men flung themselves across the universe in search of adventure and discovery. Some of the earliest science fiction stories were about space travel, including From the Earth to the Moon by Jules Verne and The First Men in the Moon by H.G. Wells. And, as science fiction progressed as a literary genre into the middle of the 20th century, Space exploration became the primary focus of many sci-fi authors, with two constant themes, the vast possibilities for discovery and the many dangers that came with it. Our first story tonight is Planet Xevious from The Mysterious Traveler on August 2nd, 1949. Science fiction of this style was rare on The Mysterious Traveler, which relied more on murder mystery intense dramatic plots, but the nature of this story fits well into the format. It is a familiar and simple story of interplanetary exploration, but with a cruel twist. The explorers search a desolate planet and find a civilization near extinction, but when they learn the true nature of this ancient culture... Well, I won't say more. It's best you hear it for yourself. And now we present Planet Xevious, as heard on The Mysterious Traveler in August of 1949. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Mysterious Traveler. Written, produced, and directed by Robert A. Arthur and David Coburn, and starring two of radio's foremost actors, Ralph Bell and Brett Morrison, in The Planet Zidius. This is The Mysterious Traveler. Inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip, that it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves, and be comfortable, if you can, as I retell a story which so many listeners have asked to hear again. It's the story I call The Planet Xevious. Our story begins in a large, darkened laboratory filled with intricate machinery and instruments. A half-dozen engineers are seated before control panels which run the length of the laboratory, while two small, slender men stand in the middle of the room looking up at a large screen, a screen which reveals the celestial heavens to them. 
The two men follow closely, anxiously, the movement of a pinpoint light across the screen. Signal's coming in much stronger, Commander. Yes. The ship is approaching the stratosphere. I think that this time we've succeeded. Let's hope that all goes well in the landing. Yes, we've waited so long for success. Pay close attention to the controls, men. The IPX-4 will soon enter the stratosphere. Prepare to land it. Pardon me, uh, Commander Destro? Yes, yes, what is it? My name is Bedray. I've been assigned by the Scientific Council to act as historian for the work you're engaged in. I see. Well, you come at a most momentous time, Bedray. If you look at the screen above us, you'll see history in the making. Oh, uh, allow me to introduce Professor Capasio, our chief scientist. How do you do, sir? I'm happy to meet you. You were saying, Commander, that history was being made this very moment? Yes. You see that small pinpoint of light on the tetra screen? Pinpoint of light? Oh, yes, I see it. That is the IPX-4, Interplanet Experimental Ship Number 4. This year will go down in history as an epoch-making year. You mean that you've actually succeeded Excuse me. In... The IPX-4 has entered the stratosphere. Attention, Master Control. Prepare to land the IPX-4. Switch on retarding jet number one. Switch on retarding jet number one. Switch on retarding jet number two. Switch on retarding jet number two. Instrument reading. Speed, 1,200 miles per hour. Altitude, 60,000 feet. 940,000. 730,000. 520,000. 310,000. Speed, 100 miles per hour. Altitude, 2,000 feet. Signal base crew to stand by. Base crew signal to stand by. Instrument reading. Hovering, 500 feet. 300. 100. Flight completed. The IPX-4 has landed, gentlemen. And with it, a new era has begun. An era in which we shall travel through the entire solar system to other planets. You've finally succeeded. Yes. And the crew, they came through without any injuries or ill effects? The entire flight was controlled by us from this laboratory. The only crew we had on that ship were animals. And the animals are alive and well. The flight vision screen aboard the ship permitted us to see and hear them every moment of the flight. Now there remains but the final step. A flight with human beings as the crew? Yes. We shall start to prepare for it immediately. Ready for flight, sir. The crew are at their station. Thank you. Professor, why don't you show our young friend through the ship while I have a last-minute conference with my officers? Of course, Commander. Come along, Vitre. You'll be more than interested. Well, thank you. I should like to see the rest of the ship. Well, as you probably gather, this is the fuel room. Mm-hmm. Well, on the deck below are the nuclear propulsion engines. Watch your head. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, this is the crew's quarters. And beneath it are storage quarters for ship supplies and equipment. Strange, Professor, but from the outside, the IPX-4 seems so much larger than from in here. Well, that's easy enough to explain, Vidre. You see, the IPX-4 has 
is a hull within a hull. And this is the inner hull. Oh, I see. And it's the outer hull that protects us. Yes. To break through the field of gravitation of this planet, we must achieve a speed of 20,000 miles per hour. At that speed, friction creates great heat on the outer hull. Heat which we, fortunately, won't feel in this hull. I understand. Is this the control room? Yes. And don't be overawed by these hundreds of controls and instruments. In time, you'll come to understand them all. That large screen, is that the eye of the ship? Yes. Once we're in flight, what lies before us is projected on the screen. Stand by, Zal, for flight orders. Yes, sir. Stand by for flight orders. Well, gentlemen, the moment has arrived. Sound warning signal. Sound warning signal. Switch on flight vision screen. Switch on flight vision screen. Establish contact with base. Establish contact with base. Cut in nuclear jet number one. Cut in nuclear jet number one. We're taking off, EJ. Cut in nuclear jet number two. Cut in nuclear jet number two. Instrument reading. Rate of flight. 500 miles per hour. Altitude, 1,000 feet. Rate of flight, 2,000 miles per hour. Altitude, 150,000 feet. Don't worry if you start to black out, DJ. It's to be expected. The crew is conditioned for it. Rate of flight, 5,000 miles per hour. Altitude, 140,000 feet. Rate of flight, 10,000 miles per hour. Altitude, 300,000 feet. This is the crucial moment today. Rate of flight, 11,000 miles per hour. Altitude, 500,000 feet. Rate of flight, 13,000 miles per hour. Altitude, 700,000 feet. Hear that, sir, Professor? We've broken through. We're in space. Yes. Rate of flight, 24,000 miles per hour. Flight distance covered, 2,000 miles. We've made it, Professor. With each minute of flight, our speed accelerates. Yes. We should soon reach our maximum speed of 50,000 miles per hour. Rate of flight, 30,000 miles per hour. Flight distance covered, 3,000 miles. Take over, Zal. Yes, sir. What's the matter with Vidre? Did he black out? Yes. He wasn't conditioned for the flight. Oh, he'll be all right in a few minutes. When he is, bring him into the chart room. I'll be plotting our course. Come in, Vidre, Professor. How do you feel, Vidre? I'm all right now, sir. Have a seat. Thank you. I've just been plotting our course to the planet Xevious. Xevious, sir? Why Xevious? It isn't the nearest planet. Well, that's quite true, Vidre. But through the use of a spectrometer, we've been able to determine that Xevious can support human life. The composition of the air on that planet isn't much different from our own. The air of our planet contains 22.8% oxygen and 77% nitrogen and traces of other gases. And Xevious? And Xevious, the oxygen content is 20.5%. A little less than our own. The nitrogen content is 79%. 
Well, we shouldn't have too much difficulty breathing on Xevious. I'm afraid I'm not too familiar with Xevious. How does it compare with our planet in other respects? Well, three-fourths of Xevious seems to be water. The land is divided into two continents. Very much like our own planet. Yes. The circumference is approximately uh, 28,000 miles. 300 years ago, our astronomers noted huge explosions on Xevious. For a time, they thought it was disintegrating. But it didn't. Yes, and since those huge explosions 300 years ago, there have been no additional ones. Professor, do you think there might be human life on Xevious? Oh, it's quite possible, we did. We should reach Xevious in 60 days. Perhaps, Envy Dre, we shall have the answer. Stand by to land on Xevious. Attention, crew members. Stand by to land on Xevious. They're approaching Xevious already. It's exerting a strong pull toward its surface. Yes. Switch on radar sender. Switch on radar sender. Now, radar signals are reaching Xevious and being reflected back off its surface. As we get closer, the speed of the signals will accelerate. I see. Cut nuclear jet number two. Cut nuclear jet number two. Cut nuclear jet number one. Cut nuclear jet number one. How quiet it is. Seems strange not to hear the engines after 61 days. Instrument rating. Rate of descent, 500 miles per hour. Approaching stratosphere. Altitude, 400,000 feet. Rate of descent, 600 miles. Altitude, 300,000 feet. Our speed is increasing. Why? We're in previous orbit. Gravity is pulling us down toward it. Switch on retarding jet number one. Switch on retarding jet number one. Instrument rating. Rate of descent, 400 miles per hour. Altitude, 200,000 feet. Professor, look. You can clearly make out Rate previous of descent, surface now. 300 miles. Yes. Altitude. We're near the coast of one of the continents. That uh, small silvery thread of the river flowing into the sea. Miles How green it is. Devious has plants like, just like our own planet. Yes. That river is quite a large one. Far larger than any we have. Covering only 50,000 feet. Commander's evidently going to land near that mountain overlooking the river. Rather hilly country. Yes. Too bad darkness is falling. 600. 400. 200. 100. Flight completed. We've landed. Cut retarding jet number one. Cut retarding jet number one. Cut radar sender. Cut radar sender. Well, gentlemen, we've done it. Flown 80 million miles from our own planet to Zetius. Congratulations, Commander. Thank you. Well, it's already grown dark. We'll wait until morning before leaving the ship. Meanwhile, Professor, I suggest you make extensive tests of the air on Zevius. We can't be too careful. Mm, quite agree. I'll proceed at once, Commander. You'll have a full report by morning. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Well, I've made a thorough analysis of the air, Commander, and it substantiates our earlier findings. In other words, we can live out there. Yes. Well, we may find ourselves a little short of breath now and then due to less oxygen and 
where you feel it's perfectly safe. Good. I'll give orders to have the nuclear copter assembled for flight. The three of us will make an exploratory trip over this area. Be prepared to leave in exactly one hour. We're ready for takeoff. I suggest you fasten your safety belts, gentlemen. I'm ready. Stand clear. We'll rise straight up and have a look around. Look. We're high enough now to see the river. It's enormous. Yes. I should estimate it to be at least, oh, a mile in width. Seems to flow into that bay and then out to sea. Professor, look. To your left, across the river. Where are you pointing to? All I see are trees and greenery. Well, wait till we rise a little higher. Ah, yes. That greenery is growing on top of immense ruins. You see them, don't you, Commander? Yes. Yes, I think you're right, Betray. Apparently it's an island. Yes, it is. Let's fly over and have a look. The island itself doesn't seem to be very large. Oh, yes, yes, I see the ruins now. And it's barely discernible under the growth of trees and grass that covers it. Well, where are you going to land, Commander? We'll uh, put down on that huge ruin directly ahead. From it, we'll have a good view of the entire island. These ruins are truly amazing, Commander. Thousands and thousands of buildings and dwellings covered by trees and grass. These are the ruins of a great civilization. How old would you estimate these ruins to be, Professor? From a rather hasty study of the plant life that's grown over it, I should say approximately, oh, 300 years. 300 years. You think those huge explosions our astronomers saw on this planet 300 years ago might have wiped out this civilization? That's quite possible, Commander. Where's Vidre gotten to? Oh, there he is. Oh, Vidre! Don't get too near the edge. You may fall over. I'm being quite careful, Professor. I just wanted to see what was below us. This ruin we're standing on must have been a huge building leveled by some great force. If you look over the edge, you'll see that it slopes down to what seems to be streets. Streets? Yes, very much like those on our own planet. It would be quite possible for us to make our way down the side of this ruin to the bottom. Can't be more than 200 feet. What do you think, Professor? Why not? By all means, let's descend and have a look around. Well, we only have a few more feet. Watch your footing here. These rocks keep giving way beneath me. Yes. It would be quite easy to break a leg here. You all right, Professor? Uh, yes, Commander. Well, here we are. Oh, it seems as though we've descended a thousand feet instead of only two hundred. Yes. It's rather dark down here. Everything's in shadows. Yes, you were quite right, Vidre. Beneath this rubble we're standing on, there seems to be a paved street. Let's have a look around, shall we? Look at those ruins. They seem to have been huge buildings. Yes, if I may judge, they must have been seven, eight, oh, perhaps a thousand feet high. 
Apparently, this civilization was almost as highly developed as ours before it was destroyed. Yes. Professor, do you think it's possible that there may be descendants of the people who built this civilization? It's possible, of course, but as yet I've seen no signs of them. Look, there's a building which hasn't been entirely destroyed. Let's have a look inside. Yes, by all means. Perhaps we'll discover objects that will give us more information about the race that once lived here. How huge that entrance is. It looks quite dark in there. Unfortunately, I have a small torch. Come along. Look at the size of this chamber. Why, the ceiling is at least 40 feet high. Professor, this building must have been an institution, a, a library. Look at the thousands of books lying on the floor, simply rotting away. Yes, yes, you're right. Look at this book, Professor. It's about twice the size of our own. Yes. It's too bad it's been exposed to the elements. Pages are yellow. The printing is all but faded. Uh, here's another one on the floor. Uh, it's a much larger book. And bound in some sort of animal skin. Uh, let me see it. Yes, yes, this is in much better condition. We shall take it back to the ship, Ridley. See if one of our scientists can decipher the language it's printed in. Uh, Professor, would you come here for a minute? Oh, yes, yes, of course. Look. These ashes on the floor. Looks like the remains of a fire. Yes. Yes, you're right. It appears to be only a few weeks old. A few weeks old? Then... Then that means... Yes. There were survivors of the Holocaust that destroyed this civilization. Their descendants may be here. In these ruins, watching us. That's quite possible. However, we're armed. I... I wonder what they look like. Perhaps after a time when they get used to the sight of us, they'll show themselves. Yes. Uh... Oh, what was that? Sounds like a signal of some sort. Yes, you're right. I suggest we leave, Commander. Yes, come along. Feels good to get out of that dark chamber. Uh, there it is again. Only much closer. There's no need to get alarmed, Vidran. We only knew what they looked like. I dare say we frightened them as much as they do us. I I think we're being followed. I saw a huge figure back there slipping from one ruin to another. Oh, nonsense, Vidran, you're imagining. Yes. Yes, I think you're right. For a moment, I caught a glimpse of someone behind us, too. We are almost at the foot of the ruin which we descended. We haven't much further to go. Perhaps we ought to fire our weapons as a warning. No, 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 no. They'd surely take it as a threatening gesture. We don't want to do that. Yes, well, here we are. Let's not waste any time climbing to the top. Uh, 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 yes, they still seem to be following. Now and then I can make out a shadowy figure. It's almost impossible to tell what they look like. I cling to the shadows. They, they seem enormous. Much larger than ourselves. You mustn't let your imagination run away with you. It's, it's amazing how much faster we're going up than when we came down. We're almost at the top. I have a feeling they won't try to climb this ruin after us. Evidently, they don't like daylight. Ah, here we are. Professor, look out! Close? What was it? I threw some sort of weapon at you. I had something but a long round pole with a 
sharp piece of metal on the end. It's a spear. We have them in our museums. It's the weapon of a primitive tribe. Then, then they must be little more than savages. Yes. And I don't think they'll come after us, but I suggest we take off and return to the ship. Zolf? Yes, sir? I don't expect any trouble, but turn on the radar system for protection. If anyone approaches the ship, the alarm will go off. Yes, sir. Why are you so fascinated by that spear, Vidre? You've been examining it for ten minutes now. Well, it's just that... Well, it's an, an, an enigma, Commander. We find the ruins of a great civilization. Huge buildings, dwellings, streets. A city that must have had four or five million people. What happened to them? We can only surmise, Vidre. Perhaps it was a violent quake. A gigantic tidal wave or some other huge force that all but wiped them out. And this spear, could it have been hurled by a descendant of that great race that built all that? Yes, it's quite likely. But look at this spear. The man who threw it was little more than a savage. Perhaps the wheel of evolution has slowly turned to its starting point. It's difficult to say. The alarm. Someone's brought through the radar system. All crew members, attention. Report to station. Switch on radar screen. Switch on radar screen. It's too bad night has fallen. Green reveals nothing but shadowy trees. Yes. What's that? Sounds very much like spears bouncing off the hull. Yes, we're being attacked. One of those spears can certainly do us no harm. Commander, look at the radar screen. It's a huge figure. It's hard to make off. He's carrying a burning torch. Yes. Zalf. Yes, sir. If that figure carrying that torch attempts to approach, fire on him with a ray beam. Yes, sir. Look, he's running towards us. Yes, he's about to set the ship on fire. Look how huge he is. He's simply gigantic. Yes, sir. Zalf. Fire. Yes, sir. He's down. Only a few yards from the ship. Yes. He doesn't seem to be dead. I can see him moving. Burst from a ray beam would have killed any of us. It only seems to have wounded him. South. Yes, sir. Order a party of six men to go out and bring that... that monster in here. Yes, sir. At once. They're bringing him in now, Commander. Yes. Uh, bring him over here, man. He's much too big for the bed. All right, lie him down on the floor. Good, good, good. That's it. He's dying. I'm afraid there's nothing we can do for him. He's trying to say something. If we only knew his language. He's dead. Too bad. Sorry, we had to fire on him. I was hoping we could establish friendly relations with the people of Xevious. Look at the size of him. He's gigantic. Even larger than I thought. Yes. You must measure at least here. Let me see. Oh, Professor, the leather-bound book you found in the ruins. I've succeeded in deciphering the language. I've already translated the first two pages. Be patient a moment, Lado. I want to finish my examination of this man of Zevis. Uh, it's a 
Amazing. Simply amazing. Uh, this book you found is apparently the key to their civilization. As soon as I've translated the rest of it, I'm sure we'll have a... This man of Zevius, I should say, he weighs at least 200 pounds. And as for his height, he's at least six feet one. Six feet one? Why, that would make him almost twice as tall as we are. Yes. But that isn't all. He only has five fingers. Five fingers? Are you sure? Positive. Please, sir, I wish you'd let me read you the translation of the book you found in the ruins. Oh, yes. Yes, Pedro. By all means. Go ahead. Well, I I've translated only the first two pages. It begins this way. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was a desolate waste with darkness covering the abyss and a tempestuous wind raging over the surface of the waters. Uh, it's evident, sir, that this planet we know as Zevius was called Earth by the race that wrote this book. Earth. Hmm. I wonder what happened to the people of Earth that brought their civilization to an end. Mm -hmm. Did you enjoy our little visit to the planet previous? A better known to us as Earth. What's that, madam? You don't like the sort of civilization being destroyed? Well, fortunately, it doesn't have to happen. Not if we don't want it to. Oh, by the way, uh, all names of characters in this story were fictitious, and any resemblance to the names of actual persons is uh, strictly out of this world. And... Oh, you have to get off here, I'm sorry. But I'm sure we'll meet again. I take this same train every week at this same time. just heard The Mysterious Traveler with Maurice Tarplin in the title role. Others in our cast were Ralph Bell, Larry Haynes, and Lawson Zerby. All characters in this story were fictitious. Any resemblance to the names of actual persons living or dead was purely coincidental. Original music composed and played by Al Finelli. Bill Tonkin speaking. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. just listened to Planet Zevius from The Mysterious Traveler as originally aired on August 2nd, 1949. Next up is Ray Bradbury's Kaleidoscope from Suspense on July 12th, 1955. Ray Bradbury's stories were very popular for adaptations into radio dramas. His short works were often the proper length 
and their subject matter was perfect for shows like Suspense. Bradbury was the master of drawing out the tension in his tales, usually resulting in grim and shocking conclusions. His work was featured in almost every dramatic fiction-themed radio show of the 40s and 50s, and later, his writings were brought to life many times over for film and television. He even hosted his own television show from 1985 to 1992, The Ray Bradbury Theater, where he presented television adaptations of 65 of his own stories. By the time of his death in 2012, Bradbury was known as one of the greatest authors in American history, and a cornerstone influence on the modern era of science fiction and horror literature, television, and film. Kaleidoscope explores a scenario that has become a common source of dread in space exploration fiction, being hopelessly adrift in space. From Major Tom to Sandra Bullock, many fictional astronauts have feared the black vastness of space, and rightly so. And now, Kaleidoscope, as heard on Suspense in July of 1955. And now, tonight's presentation of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Tonight, we depart from the usual to bring you a play from one of the greatest authors of science fiction, Mr. Ray Bradbury. It is the story of a last voyage in a spaceship and the six men who took it. So now, starring Mr. William Conrad, here is tonight's suspense play, Kaleidoscope. She was a spaceship cargo carrier, seven years old, with over a million and a half miles lost in her wake. Within her metallic skin was the world of the crew, an atom of life surrounded by a vast expanse of nothingness. The ship and the crew were owned by the company, a third-class vessel operated by third-class personnel, and each of us hoping that in our day would come promotion to second class, or even to first and the great hushed passenger liners which were also owned by the company. The company ran everything. There wasn't anyone else to work for. And you accepted what was given, not gratefully, but with hope. There were 19 of us to begin with on a routine voyage. Our cargo, seasoned lumber. I was at control on the second day out. Stone navigating. On the nose. Good. Control. Bearing mark, Captain. Right. Hollis, where's the captain? In his cabin. On the bottle again. Huh? Why didn't you ask him? I don't have to, Stoney. I can smell him all the way out. You want something, Applegate? See tube blowing again. It isn't showing on the indicator. I can't help that. Wait a minute. Captain, control. Yeah. Applegate reports see tube blowing, sir. Oh? It doesn't show on the indicator, sir. All right. I'll be right there. And what was the idea of that? What? Telling him it didn't show. You're trying to louse me up? You better keep check on that tube. Who's giving orders? I am. Oh, my sash to you, friend. Oh, come on, Applegate. I don't want to blow up. I've got two weeks of pay coming when we get back. Here, give me a power check, will you? Sure. Uh, something must be haywire with the indicator. Get it straightened out, Hollis. Uh, she's not firing in sequence, sir. Heating up, too. Uh, let me see. I don't like this. Rockets, this is the captain. Simpson, sir. It's C-tube, I think. Heating the others, too. Lock-off's frozen. Use emergency. Stand by. Come on, come on. 
Control, Mrs. Applegate. Emergency doesn't answer. It's getting too hot. Maybe it'll answer from here, sir. Applegate, get your men out of there. Stand by to abandon. She's going, sir. Shall I sound the alarm? Yes. This is the captain. This is the captain. Get into your suits. You've got about two minutes, maybe less. Get into your suits. The ship is going to explode. Get into your suits. Abandon. Abandon. Get into your suits. Concussion cut the spaceship up the side like a giant can opener. Those of us who weren't immediately killed were thrown into space like wriggling silverfish, scattered into a dark sea. And the ship, in a million pieces, went on, a meteor swarm seeking a lost sun. The sound of our voices calling like lost children on a cold night. Hollis, this is Stone. Hello! Stone? Stone, this is Hollis. Where are you? I don't know. How can I? Which way is up? I'm falling. Oh, God, I'm falling. We're going away from each other. Who is that? This is the captain. Who is that? Huddling in space in every direction. And now, instead of men, there were only voices. Voices communicating by radio phone. All kinds of voices, disembodied and impassioned in varying degrees of terror and resignation. All moving away from one another. We were wearing our sealed tight spacesuits with glass tubes over our faces. But there hadn't been time to lock on the propulsion units. Not time enough. And without them, we were meteors, senseless, each going to a separate and irrevocable fate. This is the captain. I want a roll call. <laughs> who, who is that? This is Applegate, sir. Applegate. Next. Lester. Uh, who? Lester. Simpson. Lester. Simpson. Dawn. Hollis. Uh, anybody else? Anyone else? Stone to Hollis. How long can we talk, the phone? Well, it depends on how fast you're going your way and I'm going mine. An hour, I make it. What happened? A rocket blew up. Didn't you feel it? That's all. Rockets do blow up. Which way are you going? It looks like I'll hit the moon. Well, it's Earth for me. That's nice. Back to old Mother Earth at 10,000 miles an hour. I'll burn like a match when I hit the atmosphere. Well, Stone's going to the moon. I know where I'd like to see Applegate go. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. It's a long way down. Who's that? I don't know. Stimson, I think. Stimson, is that you? This is Hollis. It's a long, long way, and I don't like it. I don't like it. Stimson, this is Hollis. Stimson, do you hear me? Stimson? Yes? You take it easy now. I don't want to be We're all in the same fix. I don't want to be here afraid. There's a chance we'll be found. (laughs) I heard that. 
Oh, what a liar you are, Hollis. You shut up, Applegate. But come and make me. Come on, Hollis. Come and make me shut up. I don't believe this. I don't believe any of this is happening. Not to me. It's a bad dream. Now, take it easy, Simpson. Hey, you know, I don't feel so bad. Who's that? It's me, Stone Lestaire. I was just thinking. I've had a pretty good time. Lots of good time. Hey, did I ever tell you about my wife? Which one? Who's that? Applegate. Oh, sure. How do you feel, Applegate? Oh, why don't you shut up? No kidding about my wife, the one on Mars. Did I ever tell you? That's enough. This is the captain. We've got to figure a way out of this. Make a plan. I say to you, what, Captain. What did you say? Oh, you heard me. Don't try pulling rank on me. You're 10,000 miles away by now. You listen to me, Applegate. Consider this a mutiny of one, Captain. Hang me. <laughs> Kill me. <laughs> Look, I want to tell you something. Your ship was a bad ship, and you were a bad captain, and I hope you break wherever you're going. I'm ordering you to stop, Applegate. Be my guest. Order me some more. You're going to put me in chains till we land? Marseille to you, Captain. Hey, fellas, let me tell you about my wife, the one on Venus. <laughs> it doesn't matter now. I guess anybody can know now. Oh, listen, I had it real good. One wife on Mars, another on Venus, one on Jupiter. <laughs> oh, boy, what a time. Hey, Stone. Yeah? Remember the time we put into Mars Port for repairs? I remember. Well, uh, that's when I met the first one. You know what those Mars girls are like. <laughs> well... Lesper went on and on with his talk about his wife. An interplanetary bigamist. His money, his wonderful time, drunkenness, gambling. On and on, while we fell in space away from each other. Lesper reminiscing on the past. Happy while he fell to his death. Space. Thousands of miles of space and the voice vibrating in the center of it. No one visible at all, only the radio waves quivering and trying to quicken other men into emotion. I tell you, when a man's had a life like I've had, it's not so bad. <laughs> not much left for me to do, I guess. Men, this is the captain. I want you to know that I'm very grateful for your loyalty. You've been a good crew. Hollis, Stone, if you get out of this, I have you both posted for a promotion. It'll go through when you report. Applegate, I wish that... Captain? Captain? Ten to one on meteorite got him. Any takers? Hollis! Hollis! Can you think of something? Something to do? Why ask him, Stinson? I'll tell you something to do. Make it quick, easy. Open the valve on your suit. We're finished, all of us. Who cares? No one's gonna cry over me. <laughs> And we fell through space, five of us living, each in his orbit of loneliness, moving away from the other. From this outer edge of my life, looking back, there was one remorse, and that only that I wish I could go on living. All dying people feel that way, Hollis. What? 
Uh, oh, Stone, I, I... I didn't know I was thinking out loud. Funny. As if I'd never lived. Yeah, I know. I know. Hollis? Hey, Hollis. What is it? Applegate again. All right, what? Let's you and me talk, huh? Go ahead. You hate my guts, don't you? I never thought much about it. Oh, don't give me that. You and that superior way of yours. I want to tell you something. I was the one who blackballed you with the rocket company five years ago. Did you hear me? I heard you. Well, how does that make you feel? Nothing. You wanted to get to the top all your life, I know. I'll bet you always wondered what happened. Well, it was me. See, I put the black mark on you before I was tossed out myself. It isn't important. Well, I had a good time. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing to think about, too. I had a wife on Mars, Venus, one in Jupiter. So you said, Mr. <laughs> and I'm saying it again. I like to think about it. They all had money, too. Oh, yes, they treated me just fine. You know, once I got drunk and gambled $20,000. $20,000 in one night. Just like that. <laughs> oh, it's been a good life. But you're here now, Lothair. I didn't have any of those things. I was jealous of you, funny little man. How did you rate it? The women, the good times. Women frightened me. And I went into space always wanting them, jealous of you for having them, and money, and as much happiness as man could want. And I'm not jealous anymore, though. Because it's over for you just the way it is for me. Now it's like it never was. It's all over, Lespair. It just never was. You hear me, Lespair? Who's that? It's Hollis. Do you hear me? You're out here, Lespair, falling, dying. It's all over. It's just as if it never happened, isn't it? No. It happened. When anything's over, it's just like it never happened. Where's your life any better than mine now, huh? Now's what counts. Is it any better? Is it? Yes, it's better. How? How? Because I've got my thoughts. Good thoughts. I remember. Thoughts. What good? What good are they? You gonna be rescued? You gonna live more than a few hours? I'm resting easy. I've had my turn. I'm not getting vicious at the end. Not like you. Vicious? Take it easy, Hollis. I know how you feel, Hollis. I, I don't take it personally. You're all right. I always thought that. Hey! What? What's the matter? I, I can see something. Stone? Stone? Yeah. I, I can see lights. They look like lights. But where? What? Where? Where are you? Must be a ship. Maybe they'll see us. Which way are you going, Stone? It, it's lights. I tell you, I can see them plain. Which way? Which way? Where are you, Stone? Where? Hey, guess what? Huh? What? 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 I got myself into a meteor swarm. Little asteroid. Meteor? Yes, I think it's a Myrmidon cluster. You know, Hollis, the, the one that goes out past Mars and in toward Earth once every five years. Well, I'm right in the middle. Down. Down. It's like a big kaleidoscope. That's what I thought with the light. All kinds of colors and shapes. Hey, it's beautiful. 
All that metal. I'm going with them. They're taking me with them. I'll be... Stone! So long, Hollis. So long. Good luck, Stone! <laughs> Don't be funny. I looked. There was nothing. Only the great diamonds and sapphire and emerald mist and velvet inks of space. And then in the sudden calmness of his going, there was a kind of wonder in the thought of stone going off in the meteor swarm, out past Mars for years, and coming in toward Earth every five years, passing in and out for the next million centuries. Alice, this is Lestair. You all right? Yes, I'm fine. I can't hear you so good. You there? Alice? This is Hollis. I'm okay. You? Alice, there must be something wrong with the phone. Alice? Can you hear me? Uh, say something, will you? Turn up the booster. Turn up your booster. Alice, can you hear me? Yeah, yes, yes, I hear you. Hey, that's fine now, yeah. Oh, I thought you were gone. Who are you talking to? The stone. Uh, hey, uh, who else is around? Applegate. Uh, Applegate. I'm here. Stimson. Stimson. Hey, Stimson. I guess he's gone, too. That's fair. Can you see anything? Uh, I wasn't looking. I was thinking. I figure I'll hit Mars. <laughs> Mars. Wouldn't that be something if I landed in the wife's backyard? <laughs> then she'd get a kick out of that. <laughs> That's pretty funny, huh? Is that you, Applegate? No. I thought it was you. Uh, Alice? No, it must be Simpson. Simpson? Simpson? I want to wake up! Mama! Mama, I want to wake up! Make him stop, will you? Simpson, shut him up! Simpson! Simpson, will you listen to me? Now, Simpson, listen to me. Applegate's right. It'll be easier. You open your valve. Open it. Listen to me, Simpson. Open your valve. Now. Do it now. It won't hurt. Only a second, Simpson. Open your valve, Simpson. Alice? Applegate? Yeah. Has he gone? I guess so. Oh. Hey, anybody know what time it is? Oh, what do you care? What'd you say? Applegate? The boost is fading. Uh, what did you say? I don't know. Oh, well, I guess it doesn't matter. Habit, I suppose. You mind if I keep talking? Kind of passes the time. The goodbyes, voices dying, men dying. The awareness of life, my own. What can I do? Is there anything I can do to make up for a terrible and empty life? If only I could do one good thing to make up for the meanness I collected all these years and didn't even know it was in me. Alice. 
Hollis, this is Appleby. Yes. Hollis, that was right you told Stinson to do. I, I said it to make him feel bad, but you did it right. I murdered him. No, 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 you didn't. Listen, Hollis, this isn't good, this thing between you and me. It's a bad way to die. Are you listening, Hollis? Yes, I'm listening. I, I lied. I didn't blackball you. Can you hear me? Yes. Listening to your talk when you were saying those things to Lespair about it not mattering, and he said about you being vicious, made me ashamed. I've been like that, too. It's all right. They understand. Can you get Lespair? No. No, he was gone an hour ago. Can you hear him? No. Last thing I heard, he... He was singing a dirty song. Quite a guy. Yeah. You're fading out. You too. What? I... I hope everything's okay with you, Applegate. I... I hope you go to heaven or wherever you want. I hope for you... Getting soft, Hollis. Better open your valve. So long. Take it easy, Applegate. So long, Hollis. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. <laughs> Applegate! <laughs> Applegate! <laughs> Any time now, I'll hit the Earth's atmosphere. I'll burn and be scattered in ashes all over the continental land. That I'll be put to use just a little bit, but ashes are ashes and they'll add to the land. I wanted to make something of my life, to be liked. To do good for people, to make them happy. Now it's all gone. I wish I could do a good thing. Just something for me to know about. When I hit the atmosphere, I'll burn like a meteor. I wonder if anyone will see me. Time for bed, Sonny. Okay. Hey, hey. Hmm? Look up there, Mom. A following star. I saw it. Make a wish, dear. Make a wish. Mr. William Conrad starred in tonight's presentation of Kaleidoscope, written by Ray Bradbury. Next week, the story of two people and the terror that rode with them in the city. We call it Backseat Driver. 
That's next week on Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by Anthony Ellis, who adapted tonight's script. The music was composed by Rennie Garrigan and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Special technical effects by Robert Chadwick. Featured in the cast were Stacey Harris, Harley Bear, Howard McNear, John Daner, Sam Edwards, Georgia Ellis, and Master Jonathan Ellis. This is the CBS Radio Network. That will wrap up this Sci-Friday episode of The Twilight Beacon. You heard Planet Xevious from the August 2nd, 1949 airing of The Mysterious Traveler, and Kaleidoscope by the master of science fiction Ray Bradbury, as broadcast on Suspense, July 12th, 1955. The Twilight Beacon will return next Monday, October 18th, with another episode of Terrifying Stories, with a featured voice, the legendary Boris Karloff. Until then, this is Jedediah D. Blackwell saying good night, everyone, and good luck getting to sleep. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Twilight Beacon Podcast. New episodes are released on thetwilightbeacon.com Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays during the month of October and can be found on your favorite podcast apps and streaming services. The Twilight Beacon Podcast is produced and edited by Jason and Jacob Burgess. Music by Alexander Nakarada. Special thanks to the Old Time Radio Researchers Group and OTRR.com. Visit thetwilightbeacon.com for archived episodes and the schedule of upcoming shows. You can follow The Twilight Beacon on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest program updates.